Before we start, a quick warning. This episode contains content that might be distressing to some listeners. Press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Tuesday, October 4. 100 young people have died while under the care or supervision of Victoria's child protection system. SIDS, suicide, motor vehicle accidents, drowning and assault caused most of the deaths which occurred across a two-year period starting in 2020. The Andrews government has been lashed for the deaths with staff shortages, inexperienced caseworkers and a surging workload reportedly to blame. Hedley Thomas, the journalist who exposed systemic failures at Queensland's state-run forensics lab, is being sued for defamation by the ex-boyfriend of murdered Queensland woman Shandy Blackburn. Shandy's sister is also in the firing line and says she's absolutely distressed by the legal action. We'll have more on that later in the episode. The Australian government has plans to repatriate dozens of women and children currently being detained in squalid Syrian detention camps. Humanitarian advocates say the rescue mission is long overdue because the wives and children of former Islamic State fighters have been kept in the camps for years without charge. That's first up. Australian families held in Syrian detention camps are headed home. Australia is preparing to bring home dozens of women and children left stranded in Syria. The federal government obviously can't give away too many details about this operation given its sensitive nature, but it's understood they would be brought home over the coming months, with many of them offering to be put under constant surveillance. Ellen Manette is an associate editor with The Australian and joins me now. Ellen, who are the Australians currently being detained in Syria and how long have they been there? There are quite a number of Australians in Syria in the Al-Roj detention camp near the Iraqi border, you've got a group of 16 women and 42 children. So they are mainly wives and children of Islamic State members, fighters, some of whom have been killed and some of whom are held in prisons in Hasakar, a couple of hours away in northeastern Syria. Other countries like the US and Germany have been repatriating their citizens from Syria for some time. Why has the Australian government decided to do this now? Australia, France and the United Kingdom have been quite reluctant to bring their citizens back. I think that the politics of the time indicated that it was something that was not going to be popular with their populations. The United States has in many ways led the way, encouraging other countries to bring their citizens back. I think what's changed is, first of all, we have a change of government in Australia. That's obviously been very important. And secondly, the passage of time. So these people have been in the camps and in the prisons for three and a half years without charge. And certainly when the Australian myself first went over there in June and July this year, we were able to come back and say there are five children that were born in the camps. And I don't think anyone wants to see tiny kids, three and four years old, who've never taken a step in freedom. The move has been welcomed by humanitarian groups who have been campaigning for these women and children to be repatriated for years. So the experts now have had three and a half years since the fall of Islamic State to do their investigative work and the intelligence work required to find out who these people are, who their families are and what kind of risk they pose. They're also being able to spend a lot of time and do all of the groundwork they need to do to work out what their plan will be for managing people if they bring them back. And how is it expected to be received by Syria? 
I think in this part of Syria, northeastern Syria, known as Rojava, which is under the control of the autonomous administration of North and East Syria, this news will be very welcome. The Rojava Information Centre, which is very closely aligned to the autonomous administration, has tweeted today that it's very welcome news. Their de facto government there has been lobbying all third countries to take their citizens back, to take responsibility for their citizens. The Syrian Democratic Forces have said they just don't have the capacity to continue to manage the camps and the prisons and that they have no capacity to try these people in a court of law for those who may face charges. And so they've asked countries to take their citizens home, take responsibility for them, try them if required, rehabilitate them if not, but either way, take them home and deal with them on home soil. It's been a few years now, as you said, since Islamic State fell. Why was it so important for them to maintain this kind of control over women and children in particular? The Syrian Democratic Forces never wanted to have the responsibility for, say, the women and children, let alone the men that are in the prisons. It's as simple as the third party countries wouldn't take them back. So they would have happily put them on a plane and sent them back if they could have years ago. But European countries, Australia, just simply wouldn't accept them. In fact, as you know, Australia has certainly under the previous government, had a policy of stripping citizenship where it could to keep them offshore. And a number of those people who've lost their citizenship are in Syria. So it'll be very interesting to see how those matters are dealt with. You've also been reporting on the case of an Australian man who's fearful he'll die in Syrian prison. Tell me about that. Hamza al-Baf was one of four brothers from Sydney who went to Syria and joined the caliphate and his three brothers are believed to have been killed. Hamza somehow survived. I met him in a prison location in the city of Hasakar a couple of weeks ago when I was in Syria, and he is in a very bad way physically. He has lost an enormous amount of weight. He's concerned that he's going to catch tuberculosis, which is a really serious problem in the jails because they're so crowded. His story has evolved a little bit over the years, the version of events that we've heard about him, but certainly he is well known to authorities and he has asked and several other Australian men have asked the same thing. They would like to come home to Australia and they are prepared to face the courts in Australia. The government here has little interest in repatriating the men. They're certainly not a priority. And in terms of the work that's underway at the moment, planning a rescue or repatriation mission that revolves around the women and children only, not the men. Ella Manette is an associate editor with The Australian. Coming up, Shandy Blackburn's sister responds to devastating legal action from the man a coroner said killed her sister. I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. The first week of an inquiry into failings at Queensland's state-run DNA lab has unearthed shocking allegations of corruption and incompetence. Today's witness testimonies is just the beginning. More high-ranking police are expected tomorrow and even more forensic scientists are now expected to come forward. 
a forensic interrogation of our forensics failure. The inquiry was prompted by the Australian's investigative podcast, Shandy's Story. And now another startling revelation has come to light. John Peros, the former boyfriend of 23-year-old Shandy Blackburn, who was murdered in Mackay in 2013, is suing Shandy's older sister, Shana, for defamation. Hedley Thomas, the Australian's national chief correspondent and the creator of Shandy's story, discussed the action brought by Peros with Shana last week. I'm sitting with your mum just outside Court 40 in the Magistrates' Court where the inquiry is continuing. I want you to tell me what's happened in relation to John Peros in recent weeks. Uh, I was served by someone on Monday evening a couple of weeks ago stating that John Peros was suing me for defamation over episode 13 of the podcast and some of my statements in there. What was your reaction to being served with a legal paper from John's lawyers putting you on notice that you're being sued for defamation of his character when you believe that he murdered your little sister? I'm absolutely blown away that that's even a possibility that could have been allowed to happen. It feels like such a wrongdoing that my sister was murdered and now this man who has been publicly named as the person who Shandy died at the hands of that I now have to suffer through a possible trial and possibly suffer financially and emotionally. It's absolutely distressing to think that I will have to go through something because of something someone else possibly did. And you intend to fight this action? Yes. Did you see anything like this coming when you made those comments? Did you predict or foresee any kind of retaliation from John about this? No. Number one, it's my opinion. Number two, it has been public knowledge since the inquest that those were the findings. If the findings are there, the findings have been released. So there's absolutely no way that we thought anything like this could be possible. Our lives are, you know, about remembering Shandy and trying to get justice for her because we also have absolutely still no idea how someone could think that taking another person's life in the way that Shandy's life was taken is something that's of any kind of normal comprehension. You've been assured by me and by lawyers for The Australian which published the Shandy Story podcast, that we will be providing you with advice and making sure that you are protected legally and that you are part of the defamation action that we also have to defend because we have also been named as defendants in the same action. How are you feeling now, given that level of support that's been promised? Oh, it's an absolute relief, that's for sure, um, from you know, having someone, you know, that's qualified as well to know about this because I certainly have never been through anything like this before. I've never been sued. I've 
never had to go through anything like to this kind of emotional trauma, you know, especially on top of what's already happened to Shandy. So it's a massive relief for me in one sense, but also still knowing that I have to be dragged into a courtroom again, dragged through another trial, you know, the emotional damages and the toll that will take on my life physically, emotionally. It's another battle, another fight that we just don't need. It can take a long time to legal actions such as this. They can drag on sometimes for years. Yeah. We've suffered nine and a half long years of everything we have, trying to bring all of the truth and everything to light. That was The Australian's National Chief Correspondent, Hedley Thomas, talking with Shana Blackburn. You can follow The Australian's coverage of the Commission of Inquiry via the Shandy Story podcast. Just search for Shandy Story. That's S-H-A-N-D-E-E, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as online at theaustralian.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.